you know, look, when Dan Straley is pitching against the Dodgers and Vince Scully is talking about Kyle and Driveline's relationship with Dan, I don't know that you can put a price on that. That's really what it comes down to at the end of the day is like know the most about training baseball players so we can get the best results. I think the thing that gets lost is that you don't get competition without buy-in and you don't get buy-in without trust. How do you translate what is known in the sabermetrics community to what is known in the coaching community? Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we're here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. And we'd just like to welcome back our veteran listeners as well as the coaches, players, and or just someone that just loves baseball but listening for the first time. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. On this episode, we sit down with the CEO of Driveline Baseball, Mike Rathwell. Driveline is known as the world's best data-driven baseball player development program. They focus on hitting and pitching performance, training informed by research and constant iteration. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad, here's Mike Rathwell. Welcome back to the Farm System. We're here with Mike Rathwell, CEO of Driveline Baseball. Mike, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the Farm System. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Well, Mike, I mean, a big thing that we thought you had some value that you can share with us is, uh, you know, me and you have had many conversations about the culture and the bigger vision of what Driveline's out to do. I think it gets missed by a lot of people. You know, they want to get um, into detail with the programs and they want to know all that stuff. But I think uh, the more I talk to you and I talk about the vision and what you guys are out to change the game, um, I think that's a great of great value to the listeners. And we're going to dive into a lot of that today. Sure. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, Mike, let's get into it. Can you give our listeners a little bit of your background and kind of touch on your journey to get to the position that you're in today? Sure. Uh, sort of the, the 30 second, 30 for 30 is I... Uh, I was a very bad uh, high school baseball player right around uh, the end of my sophomore year, beginning of junior year. Uh, I went uh, O for the entire summer as a catcher uh, and was seeing my prospects of playing for a varsity team rapidly diminishing. So uh, it was right around that time that I started uh, like really looking into different training methods and uh, just like trying to get myself as good as possible. That really led itself to me just trying to catch every single bullpen that I possibly could. Like I understood my value at the time to be like, take as many hacks off the tee as possible and just catch as many bullpens and like really sort of understand the, the pitching staff that got me a spot on the team. I sat the bench for basically my entire high school career. Uh, I got like 11 at bats when our all state catcher got, uh, got hurt and wanted to find a place to play. So I had good grades. I went to a school that uh, had a bad baseball team where I knew I could play a bunch, and uh, that was Whitman College. They're no longer as bad as they were when I was there. And played four years there, graduated school, uh, started working for a garbage company, 
and basically uh, started in the call center. So I was answering questions about, you know, uh, people having like raccoons get into their recycling and all kinds of uh, exactly the types of questions you would imagine someone who works in the customer service center of a garbage company gets. Uh, sort of worked my way out of there on the finance side and ended up basically running a bunch of business units, um, trying, basically my specialty was like taking business units that weren't profitable and sort of making them profitable and, uh, and then turning them back over to, uh, people who wanted to work in a garbage company for the rest of their lives. I was training with Kyle at the time, uh, mostly because I didn't want to do CrossFit. I wanted to sort of keep my arm in shape, uh, as a way to like stay active as an adult. And at the time that I started training, it was me, a 16-year-old Herbie Good, and a bunch of just like old driveline regulars. It was right around the time that uh, Trevor and Kyle first started working together. Uh, I remember coming in one day and Kyle was like very excited that uh, he had just like wrapped up going down to speak at uh, the Texas Baseball Ranch and he and Trevor were starting a relationship. And so it's sort of I've been around sort of since the beginning, but uh, came over full-time in 2014 uh, as Cal's business partner. Awesome, man. It's good. Humble beginnings, humble beginnings. Um, yeah. Can you can you describe, you know, what driveline is for those that aren't fully aware? Um, not many, but aren't fully aware. But um, also, if you could dive into the mission and vision of driveline as well. Sure. You know, in practice, it's being the company that me as a 16-year-old sophomore high school baseball player could have accessed as a resource and been much better than just a guy who hit under the Mendoza line in D3. You know, like that's that's like really the soul of, of like where Kyle and I both come from because we we're both bad baseball players. And at the time when, you know, when, when I was sort of coming up, there just wasn't the same sort of access to information that people have now. And... So that's like really sort of the delivery mechanism is like, how does 16 year old Mike Rathwell get to be as good as possible? And I think that you don't, you can't really get there uh, unless you have a, a company whose mission is sort of to know the most about developing baseball players. Like that's really the soul of it. It's why we do our own research. It's why we basically check other people's research. There's no reason that a baseball gym should be, you know, validating uh, new pieces of technology when they come to the market, you know, for the by and large, most baseball facilities just accept whatever the companies say, you know, they say, oh, you know, time to impact is 0.1 uh, seconds or whatever. You just take that on face value. But what if it's not true? Then you're training uh, your athletes with a lie, basically, and it could be a small one or a big one. You don't know, but uh, still sort of doing a disservice to that athlete's career and you know, that's, that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day is like know the most about training baseball players so we can get the best results so that each athlete's career uh, who sort of interacts with us can have the best experience possible. It's something that we're not perfect at, but we try really hard to be as good as possible and to get better every day. Love it, man. So you touched on the kind of a holistic training and development of a baseball player. However, I think some people hear driveline and they assume it's simply kind of throwing and training programs. Can you kind of touch on what else you offer to people within the game of baseball? Yeah. Um, I think that the, the piece that gets missed or the thing that I spend a lot of time uh, talking to high schools and colleges about sort of getting started and like that first year of sort of implementing a new system. 
And that really touches on like a lot of, a lot of interesting disciplines that sort of like smash up against each other. Like if you are rolling out something new, it's not just about the physiological impacts of doing a different type of training, whether it's a new lifting program, a new conditioning program, a new arm care program, a new hitting approach. You know, there's certain physiological things that I think are maybe not completely well understood, but I think that's what people gravitate towards when they think about these things. But then there's also a huge psychological component of that too, right? Like people inherently fear change. And so part of it is, you know, not just the physiological pieces of like, you know, how an overload ball maybe slots you into a better arm position or how an overload bat maybe gets you in a, into a better position to rotate. And then there's like the the actual sort of training elements of it, of, you know, just like doing something repeatedly over time, you get better at it. But then there's also the psychological of how do you get someone to accept something that's new? There is, uh, there's just a whole... Uh, range of things that I, that are really interesting to sort of tackle uh, when you first get started. I think, though, that what really gets lost in that is a culture of competition. You know, the the thing that you hear the most, whoever you follow in the baseball space, is competing. You know, if you talk about uh, the best college baseball coaches in history have all gotten the absolute best out of their guys when it comes to competition. And I think the thing that gets lost is that you don't get competition without buy-in and you don't get buy-in without trust. And the way that we sort of uh, try to engender trust in our athletes is they know the story sort of coming in that we've tested a lot of these things that, you know, we try every day to get as good as humanly possible. Uh, at training baseball players. And then, so they know that coming in, but then we start tracking their data. And once you can show them, you know, like, hey, he, we've assessed you. This is exactly where we think you are at this particular moment in time. Uh, you know, you are six foot two, you're 170 pounds, you throw the ball 82 miles an hour, your curveball is bad, but you throw it a lot because you like it. You know, like the other. There's so many different uh, factors that we're like waiting, but once you can give someone an accurate picture of who they are as an athlete, and then you listen to them and understand, oh, okay, you are telling me that you want to go D1, but really what I'm, what I'm actually understanding is that you just want to play collegiately and try to get as good as possible. So, okay, let's try to fit together a program that's going to do that over the next year. And here's what the first month looks like. And at the end of this, we would expect to see your body weight go from 175 to 182 and your squat to go from, you know, 150 to 225. The real key piece comes the next month when you retest them and, and most of those things are true, then they're like fired up. Then it's like, okay, what can I do? You know, the, when we test guys, uh, they're always hesitant. And so that first moment of buy-in comes somewhat when you kind of tell them who you believe they are based on some objective data, but then it really comes, you know, the following three weeks when one, they've come to the gym every day and you've sort of built a relationship with them interpersonally that, you know, you're a good guy and you have their back. But then the second piece of that is, hey, and also all that stuff that I had you do, like you are getting better and here's the proof. That is like eye-opening for people because they've never had it before. 
I think that's a, a big point too. And something that you, you, you touched on there that, you know, about you having their guys, your guys' back is I've seen multiple times, you know, just through the culture of your entire staff. Um, if someone, you know, is, you know, some of these hitting baseball Twitter guys or someone's on there trying to hammer one of your guys is um, you guys all jump on each other. Like you guys are a family. And so um, that's one thing I saw from the outside that I really love is you guys are, you know, the guys that you guys are training, you guys don't just throw them to the wolves and uh, you guys are always there to have each other's back. And so I think that builds up a lot of trust as well. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the conspiracy theory, right. Is that like, it's all coordinated that like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like coordinating all these people to like, like, Hey, okay, <laughs> we got to go, you know, send a message to so-and-so. And it's just like, it's not true. It just is what happens by and large. I, you know, I have, sort of the luxury of not paying a lot of attention to those sort of Twitter squabbles. Yeah. But it's the kind of thing where it's like people just in today's day and age, they don't stand for someone saying something that goes against something that they know is true. And I think mm-hmm. that's really the sort of the big joke about, um, you know, Twitter broadly is like, it's a bunch of people trying to stake claims to the 15% by which they are different when Mm -hmm. basically everybody agrees that like you need to be strong, you need to be sufficiently mobile and you need to be skilled to be a good Mm -hmm. baseball player. And then that's sort of the physical prerequisites. And then you also just kind of, you know, you have to show up every day and compete. And if you don't, then like, you're just not going to be that good. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole matrix. There's like matrices about, you know, like that's, that's a big word, but there's like all of those attributes vary in differing degrees right but like Dustin Pedroia is a big leaguer the same way that you know Aaron Judge is a big leaguer and they just excel on different level like on different attributes yeah well and you know not too long ago I visited up there you know driveline up in Kent and you know the culture and environment was everything I thought it would be Um, I think like I've told you this before I think that you guys do a great job of letting people know who you are so when I got there um, it was everything I thought it was going to be as amazing as I thought it was going to be, you know, you walk in and, uh, there's just guys, you know, just getting after it, you know, not, not, not yeah. necessarily a coach there on every single rep and, uh, guys just kind of doing their own things. But, you know, I'm, uh, you know, me and Bo are really interested and our listeners are really interested in how driveline created that culture, um, you know, from the very beginning. Sure. It was, it was somewhat consciously manufactured in the sense that like, it is important uh, to, it, it, I guess, uh, backing up one layer, like if you, re, if you read uh, just like anyone inside of the baseball coaching world or listen to ABCA talks or whatever, you have a lot of people talk about, you know, making competition as stressful as, uh, or sorry, making practice as stressful as uh, games or like, you know, training the way that you play. That piece, though, I think it's a lot... Uh, gets very overlooked because there's no actual incentive inside of that environment outside of like a coach yelling at you. That's highly motivating or, uh, or your own intrinsic motivation to actually sort of get yourself psyched up to the level that you would get near if you are standing on the mound in the conference championship, like trying to get a guy out you know, or Mm. in the batter's box trying to get a single. Yeah. So the only way that you can like sort of replicate that is to start to force guys to compete against themselves and then break them up and like compete in teams against one another. 
Like it's really the only way that we've found to be able to sort of hack that together. Mm-hmm. And the best training stimulus is to get guys as near to competition ready uh, as possible. Like they need sufficient recovery afterwards, but you know, you just, there's no reason this sort of mentality that you can go out as a pitcher and survive on just like, you know, jogging and 70% touch and feels and then be able to go blow it out for 110 pitches every Friday is just a, is just not correct. And there are guys who are able to do it. Um, but I would contend that they would be able to be a lot better if maybe they switched up some training stimulus. So Mike, let's say I'm a coach out there. I'm, I'm researching driveline, gaining interest in the program. When I first purchase that and I'm initially getting started, what should my focus be when I begin the implementation process? Uh, assess your players. So all of our programs have uh, have varying degrees of sort of uh, assessment. So you need a very accurate picture of sort of where you are currently, and then uh, start writing everything down. You know, uh, I fielded a question the other day from from a coach that was like, yeah, this is a very common thing, right? Like, uh, I will be honest and just say that, like, our programs are initially uh, expensive. You know, like, if you want to get a full team kit, it's north of $1,500. It's not uh, sort of break the budget large. Uh, I've heard of training programs that are $5,000 or $10,000 for a year, whereas ours is sort of $1,500 and you get it forever. The flip side of that is it's still a large purchase, especially for high schools and small colleges who have, you know, not that much money to even like buy uniforms and quick dry, which are definitely more important in the baseball season. You know, like can't have a baseball team if you don't roll uh, roll team out there. So for us, the soul, uh, and this gets back to sort of the culture piece, but the soul of our business is know the most about baseball as humanly possible. And the way that you sort of start to do that, even before you purchase something from us, is write everything down. You know, like if you think that squats are important, write down how good people are at squatting and watch them get better just by virtue of the fact that you're writing it down. If you think that bunts are important, write down how successful you are at bunts. You know, like these are things that I think like people talk about quite a bit. Um, It's hard to, to implement when you're a like a one-person staff of a varsity high school team or a one-person staff of a small college with sort of two unpaid assistants. But um, but it's really, you know, you just have to make a choice. Like, are you about getting your players as good as possible or are you making some other sacrifice, you know, for time or expediency or budget or whatever? And there's no right or wrong answers there. There's only personal answers. But uh, But that's really sort of the core of it is, you know, try to figure out what you believe in, first of all, and write it down. And then the second piece of it would be, you know, yeah, we have some tools to be able to sort of point, you know, sort of point you in the right direction, some templates on sort of how to get started and things like that. But that's, that's really sort of the core of it. Yeah. And, you know, one thing, you know, as you know, recently, the school I coach out out here in Utah, Brighton High School, we started utilizing, uh, utilizing the driveline throwing program. And one thing you shared with me that I thought was very impactful and I thought it would be great if you shared with the listeners is you talked about the intent of the program in its first year and what mm-hmm. you're trying to achieve. Um, can you open that up for the listeners? You know, I think everybody kind of has that initial 
um, interpretation that they're just going to start throwing these weighted balls around and everybody's going to be throwing 90 by the fall, you know, the spring. So um, yeah. I would just, I, I would love for you to share with them what you shared to me because it, it was really impactful and it made me fall in love with driveline more. Sure. I mean, the, the, uh, you've got to think about, especially if you're beginning at, uh, at like an organizational level, you have to think in stages. So you, at the end of the day, what you want is a culture driven completely by your athletes where they're so dialed in about getting as good as possible that they run their own development stuff. You know, that makes it really easy for coaches to trust their players in no contact periods. Like that's really the end goal that sort of everyone is steering towards. And I think, you know, sort of the way that driveline interfaces with that is thinking about implementing uh, a system in sort of a three-year process. So year one is focused exclusively on learning the drills, giving guys a framework for how they're going to do warm-up and how they're going to do recovery. And the success of that program is really dictated on sort of two things, like one, uh, durability, so like arm health and durability, just like making sure that sort of your injury rate goes down, uh, that guys bounce back faster. And then two, uh, one sort of uh, benefit is that people tend to see sort of operating velocity go up. So peak velocity doesn't necessarily go up. And this is purely on the throwing side. Uh, I can talk about the hitting stuff as well. But like on the throwing side, peak velocity doesn't necessarily tend to go up unless you have, there'll be one to two maybe guys who are sort of primed for something like this where they respond really well. Mm -hmm. But generally, if you have a guy who's like 84 to 89 or, well, uh, let's say it's high school baseball. So you have a guy who's like 82 to 86. He tends to operate in the, like, he's going to touch an 86. Maybe now he cruises 85 um, and is like 83 when he's tired and grabs 86s regularly as opposed to once a game. That's really sort of the, the bulk of the success in, in year one, because it's really about learning and it's really about getting kids used to, okay, this is what we're going to do. It's a structured warm-up. It's a structured recovery. I'm going to chart your bullpens in this like sort of very specific way. Um, and we're going to take velocity readings because that's going to be how I measure, you know, the, the success of the program, not because I want you to throw 90, but because I don't want you to regress. And yeah. if that's the, you know, if that's the baseline and then it's a pretty low bar to execute on. But like I said, at the, at the top, like, so few athletes have had a coach sort of sit them down and say, this is exactly where you are. A lot of coaches do that, but then the follow-up is, this is exactly what I expect from you in six months, and this is sort of the plan to get there. And then to be able to execute on that, all of a sudden, after year one, you have a ton of kids who are like, this is great. What more is out there? Like I, And then you can start, you know, the data really just shows Oh, okay. Well, like, you know how these kids, you know how I said the weight room was important? Well, we tracked workout compliance and it's no surprise that, you know, the kids who are working out more maintain their body weight better. They were also fresher at the end of the year. And so, you know, remember how you started out as a Sunday starter, but I've moved you to the bullpen by the end of the year because everybody, like you had lost velocity and everybody else had sort of maintained theirs. That's sort of the reason why. And, and it also helps coaches sort of not it helps them pull the conversation away from the player. Uh, it helps them stop 
having the conversation as like, I moved you to the bullpen because you weren't performing as well. And then the kid's reaction is like, my coach hates me. Uh, mm. So like, I'm going to start to like have an attitude about that. And it really gives sort of some concrete reasons to your velocity went down. Thus your results suffered. Thus you had to get moved because we were in the state finals and I couldn't pitch you uh, against teams that were good. And so, but you know, this is sort of state of affairs as of April 22nd. Now, here's what I want you to execute on until uh, September when we show back up again in the fall, because I need you to be the guy who's our number two for next year. Um, so it really sort of like if you can interact on on the like the data level, it really mm -hmm. helps kids buy in. And, you know, uh, they really understand it. Like, that's the thing is like they've grown up playing video games their whole lives. They really get the idea of like, oh, I do these things and then I unlock this like secret chamber or like, <laughs> you know, like it's just, yeah. <laughs> they just, they, they intuit it, right? It's like, uh, you know, and, and I think uh, a lot of where coaches fall down is they're just like, this is the way it has to be because they like, because they haven't tracked anything, they don't have any way to sort of give a conclusive or a concrete result. And so it ends up being more opinion based. And then mm -hmm. kids are just hardwired now to like just murder uh, opinion based things. Yeah. And one thing I even, uh, even I, when I was talking to your guys' customer support is when I first got your guys' program, even out here in Brighton, you know, we were like a couple weeks into season and also being in Utah, we're like on ramping our arms because of snow. Right. Yeah. Um, right. So we're on ramping and then I get the program and I even looked at it and I said, uh, like, you know, I, I felt a little weary about the on ramp because I even thought it was kind of aggressive for, you know, like where our arms were, you know. Um, sure. So when I, so when I talked to um, your guys' support, you know, they were completely on board with that as well. Like understanding that every situation is going to be different. Um, this isn't driveline, in my opinion, isn't a cop out to like not do your homework and not understand the volume work that you're putting on your players. Um, there's still a coaching aspect to that. You know, you can't just like, oh, we're doing driveline. We're going to do theirs to the T and I'm not going to, you know, look at any of these other variables that go into it. Um, and then if somebody gets, and then if somebody gets hurt, you know, blame it on you guys or, you know, it's like there's, there's got to be competence on every single side. Uh, but that's one point I wanted to really bring up is I think I, uh, as great as you guys are, I, you know, I, I definitely don't want coaches you know, seeing that as, you know, completely taking their coaching duties and throwing it on you guys and saying, oh, we're only doing this. Uh, meanwhile, you guys are, you know, up there in Washington and <laughs> completely removed from what's going on at their program and et cetera. But I think that was just a good point to share. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it speaks to a couple of things. Like one, we, we speak about our program and we market it in a specific way because we want to attract people who think independently about baseball because you know the second point here is that i will just tell you that all of our programs are templates like they're designed to be manipulated mm -hmm. there are <laughs> there's no there's no way and in fact i would do a very bad job if i just wrote a program from washington and mailed it to someone in Utah or Florida or West Virginia or whatever and said, here's exactly what your team should do, you know, for the entire season. The problem with that is like somebody is going to break up with their girlfriend and spend three days not sleeping. 
And then what's like, you know, like what's going to happen if they have a velocity day scheduled there, but they're just trashed, then all of a sudden we're going to spike their injury rate because their CNS is depressed just because, uh, you know, it, it got written from above. Like that's why all of the programming stuff is like, you need to understand the why, you know, a lot of people, uh, purchase hacking the connect chain, not a lot of people, but some people purchase hacking the connect chain and, like go straight to the programs and want to see the programs. And I think it's a very natural sort of inclination because that's like where a lot of the meat is, but the secret sauce is in the why, like we write out full descriptions of exactly why we program things certain ways. And there are just, there are individual kids on different teams who this is not a good fit for. Like, and I think that's where coaches become very hesitant to engage with sort of third parties, uh, in general, on the training side, because of two things. One, there's a very human impulse to take, I mean, I will admit that I do this on the business side all the time, where someone, I read something, like I'll read something in a magazine, I will see something on Twitter, I will see a video on YouTube or whatever about uh, something related to business, and I will immediately think about who exactly my employees are, our exact uh, current, you know, like state uh, of affairs, position in the market, et cetera. And, and then I make a judgment call on that piece of information, you know, good or bad based on my relative position in the world. The challenge with that is like, eh, maybe that person isn't talking about you. You know, maybe this person, like what's good for Berkshire Hathaway or Coca-Cola is probably not good for driveline baseball. You know, they're two completely separate businesses. And if you think about the lesson that that, like the lesson there is, uh, is basically that like, it is very easy for the coach, uh, any coach to, you know, immediately look at something that's new and think about the two kids who it's not a good fit for. And to be like, oh, well, we can't do it because, you know, like, it, you know, this kid uh, plays basketball and then he plays football and so like he never has time to do any sort of fall arm care stuff so nobody's going to do fall arm care stuff mm -hmm. and it's like well i am very empathetic to that position because i also understand that that's by and large a position sometimes held out of i don't have enough time in the day to think about these things you know like i uh, i i teach full time and then i go to coach and then i'm trying to have like a good relationship with my wife and family and I literally don't have time to think about how I should split up all of these different development groups and like try to get the most out of these kids' careers. So I'm going to go all in on just like teaching them how to be good people and sort of bang the development side of this. And I, th I think that's a very common way to like engage with, uh, with our material. What I would challenge those people with is to say that like physical development is mental development. It is spiritual development. Like they're, there are ways like learning a new way to sort of engage with your body takes ownership of your career. There's a lot to be learned at the bottom of a, like at the bottom of a squat eight. And so I think it's really, uh, it's really critical to sort of engage with, uh, with that material. And the great part about it is, you know, if you're a young coach or even if you're an old coach and you have, let's say you have 10 years left in your career, that's still 10 years to like learn a lot and you can start very, you know, you can, you can sort of go low investment and just sort of ratchet up every year, the more you learn. 
but uh, but I don't think that I think it's a very common sort of reaction to to think about like oh well there's one kid on my team who really wants to do this but there's five kids who don't so you know we can't do it or and I think it it really just it makes the mistake of not allowing each kid to sort of engage uh, with things the way that they that they would want to or to sort of teach them hey, this is, this is the nuts and bolts of sort of physical development. We're going to do this as a baseline. And then if you want to go and you want to exceed that threshold, then you can do it on your own. And I'll be sort of like your spiritual guide in this journey and try to steer you towards information that I think is more beneficial and away from information that's probably detrimental. But, you know, I think there are, there are ways to engage with sort of the analytics and research piece of this that are being underused by amateur coaches. You know, it's kind of interesting that you bring that up as far as the, you know, it might work for one guy and a coach is a little worried it won't work for five others. We've had several coaches on that kind of talk about tailoring weighted balls or, or driveline protocols towards individualized programs for players. Kind of touching on that, what what is the perception and acceptance from members within the baseball community been towards driveline and kind of how has that evolved through the analytics? That's a That's a good question. Historically, over time, we we sort of our our position has sort of evolved and that is because in first sort of attempting to know the most about baseball player development the very first truth that we were sort of very counterculture on uh was that velocity could be developed if you think about the world as it exists today that was not something that was commonly it's sort of now commonly held uh, more people than not, I think, believe that you can develop pitching velocity. And I think certainly more people than not believe that you can develop bat speed in hitters. But in terms of like our our initial uh, in 2013 and 2014, we were really just trying to demonstrate to anybody who would listen that pitching velocity is something that can be developed. Like first, just throwing velocity. So it was like a lot of transformation videos about guys who are going, you know, throwing 88 and throwing and then like, you know, six months later, throwing a hundred on a pull down as that sort of started to resolve itself. You know, that was sort of the world of weighted balls don't work as that sort of became more accepted then the community sort of the naysayers in the community transitioned to, well, you can develop throwing velocity, but you can't develop pitching velocity. <laughs> that is sort of, silly on its face, given that they're both, uh, you know, linear lower half, upper half rotational movements. So it makes sense that you would be able to develop both of them simultaneously. Uh, but it wasn't well accepted. And I think it now sort of is. Uh, I think if you look at the way in which we've sort of told that story, uh, you have seen a shift from us posting a lot of videos of guys throwing and putting up like ridiculous throwing numbers to pitching off the mound and like executing on uh, on pitches like hey like 95 for strikes now that that has now that that's sort of resolved there's a big question uh currently around you know uh what sort of mike reinald has dubbed as like the effective dose of these sorts of programs and uh you know that's sort of the next frontier um but it's work that we're sort of actively pursuing uh we're about to put uh, put a study in uh, that will be will go into a peer reviewed journal uh, that's just like 
six a six week look at collegiate weighted ball throwing program and the kinematic changes that occurred over six weeks. And I'm excited to do it, but I think that it's you know it's just the way in which the community as you sort of knock down uh, you know hey throwing velocity can be developed hey pitching velocity can be developed hey pitching velocity can can be developed in a safe way um, and not. 100% safe, but in like a very risk adjusted way. Those are the things that, that I think matter. Uh, I think from just an acceptance standpoint, I think uh, now over 30% of D1 schools use our programs or, or products uh, in, in some form or fashion and uh, markedly up from, you know, four or five years ago when it was basically like two. <laughs> <laughs> But the interesting well, thing about that is, sorry, not to not to cut you off, but the interesting thing about that is there's a, the second order effect of that of, you know, obviously it's been great for, for driveline, but, you know, the very first college that we ever gave a presentation to, Kyle flew out to Mount Mercy College, where a young coach by the name of uh, Desi was chopping up video, and he had like four Casio cameras and was just like all in on sort of player development concepts and was doing it, you know, at sort of a shoestring D3. If you fast forward, uh, let's see, that was 2014. So fast forward four years and he's now the pitching coach at Iowa, you know, and then there are other sort of early adopters, one of whom was the pitching coach at Iona. So uh, Sean McGrath, and he has now had doors opened up in, in D1, he's now at Elon, he was at UMass Lowell. But just guys who like really understand it uh, are now having opportunities opened up that didn't exist before. You know, our, we hired a guy by the name of Cam Castro, who was the pitching coach at a Division three school. He came to work for us. He realized like a year in that he just like couldn't quit his baseball coaching habit. And he was basically immediately picked up as a D2 head coach, which if you think about that is an unreal sort of journey in a year. Like it's not something that's very common inside of the coaching ladder, but the thirst for the knowledge is, is there. Like we have, I think we've placed, uh, we've placed five of our own employees into pro ball jobs. Uh, and we've had, and we have routinely pro ball coaches hitting us up when they need a hire to say like, who do you recommend? Like, you know, who's, who's out there that's good that we should be paying attention to. And, you know, the, the sort of, the thing that's missing inside of the baseball community, the thing that we're attempting to solve is how do you translate what is known in the sabermetrics community to what is known in the coaching community mm -hmm. for a lot of professional organizations, since they're the ones who have really built out analytics staffs it's like a one-way valve. So just stuff comes from the R&D department, it gets written up into a report and shoved down the throats of, of coaches. And I think that honestly, there's a decent amount of coaches out there who feel like, even though they're working on the amateur side of things, feel that way about like pitching and hitting Twitter, right? That like pitching and hitting Twitter is just like shoving information in their faces. And then all of a sudden their second baseman who used to like, sort of mind his own business is like clapping back at him about launch angles and he has no idea like why that's occurring. And I think a, a lot of that has to do with, there are some 
there are a bunch of things that guys who have been in the game for 40 to 50 years can teach the analytics side. You know, there are infinite amount of reports that are written on the analytics side that are just wholly inactionable because they don't understand how the game is played. They don't understand the fact that you like can't ask a guy to do these certain things when he's been on a bus trip for 18 hours and it's a show and go. Like he's just not going to he's not going to do all these other things that you that are like ideal because you've got to work in the world of like what actually maps to a baseball schedule. And uh, and I think that's where we've been doing a very good job. I, and I think certainly it's where we intend to sort of lead the field going forward is applied baseball R&D. Like our highest and best use is for every high school and college to basically treat us as a node that they can plug into to get the most out of their players, whether that's programs, whether that's information on pitch design, whether that's uh, hitting stuff, whether that's, you know, like doing running assessments for guys like there's some coaches, whether you don't have the time or the tech or the willpower to sort of run a clean assessment for yourself, but you would definitely execute on the, on the data if presented to it. Like if you were presented it, yeah, that's a, that's a niche that we intend to, to fill. And I think it really lends itself to the relationship between analytics and coaching ceasing to be a one-way valve and becoming uh, like a two-way valve where it's not just R&D shoving information down coaches' throats, but coaches pushing back on stuff, being able to say, like, hey, look, this literally doesn't make any sense. So, like, how can we get something that's going to be 80% as good that I can apply? You know, that's really where we're going to start seeing a lot better results on the development side of things. I think on the on the youth side, we'll see a lot better results in terms of just, like, overuse injuries and things of that nature, like, not just not just like young kids having TJs, but also just a ton of like low back stress fractures because all they do is rotate and they never get stronger. So it's just a, it's, there's a whole sort of host of things that we can accomplish if the coaching side and the analytics side work together. Yeah. I think that's a great point about, you know, it's gotta be applicable to practices, especially with coaches on tight schedules and D one limitations on practice schedules but I kind of wanted I wanted to shift gears here too as well and talk to the other side of what you guys have been doing here in the last year or so. You know, driveline has really been gaining some ground on the hitting side of things. Um, you know, Jason is a is a great mind and brings some unique mindset to the game. And um, you know, do you believe that the mindset for your hitting programs follow like a similar intent to your throwing programs on a on a higher level? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it was one of the it was one of the qualifying things that Kyle and I were looking for when we started trying to evaluate who we wanted to bring on to run hitting because we had certain things that we could offer a, a hitting coach, right? We could give them basically like an unlimited discretionary budget. Like if you think that you are in charge of the hitting department. So if this is going to get hitters better, then you need to do it. And like, don't let money be an object uh, outside of like truly ridiculous purchases, which you need to clear through me. But that person that you give that sort of guidance to needs to <laughs> like needs to really understand the culture and competitive aspects of it too because like i said you know we can't just have uh, a hitting analyst trying to interact with a bunch of indie ball guys who are trying to scratch it and and make it into affiliated ball again you know like that's just not a thing that we can do and a huge draw from us to Jason, and I think this is 
it's it's less about the individual, I guess, interaction, but I think the lesson to maybe uh, think about uh, from an audience perspective is we were attracted to Jason because of the results that he got with a ton of like not good athletes, you know, like not to take anything away from, from Menlo College, but uh, you know, they aren't uh, Stanford mm-hmm. or uh, Oregon State even. And so the flip side of that is when he did get a really good athlete, you know, he had Lucas Ersig uh, come through the door and he didn't like, he had, he had someone who was good and his approach worked for both sets of athletes, right? Lucas Ersig is an extremely talented athlete, like cold could punt a ball 75 yards. Hmm. But so there's always this tendency to like try to put your stamp on guys or whatever, especially when they're that high profile and especially when you're a young coach and to have sort of the maturity to not do that while also working with a bunch of guys like Dan Comstock and Garrett Gimiani, who are not good athletes, uh, but made themselves into very good hitters. Um, you know, for Jason to be able to sort of operate in both of those domains was extremely attractive. I think the, the lesson to be learned there though, is that there are no more gatekeepers. Like if you, if you are a, the coach of a JV high school program, you can get a professional baseball job simply by demonstrating the work that you've done with athletes. And that might seem uh, like, uh, like I'm exaggerating, but literally one of our trainers was exactly that. And he is now um, like the assistant pitching development guy for the Rangers. And his only coaching experience was summer ball and uh, the Puyallup JV baseball team. And he trained guys here. And then the Rangers hired him to to run groups in surprise. And that is a lesson. It's great for him. Like he is he's he's exceptionally talented. He's he's good. But people are watching. And the only reason that he was able to to sort of execute on that was one day when the Rangers showed up at the facility and he was having a conversation with uh, with some guys. He was able to sort of a break down the process, but then b sort of demonstrate some results, and that's that's what it takes. Like when the opportunity shows up, when we call up Jason Ochert, and we're like, "Hey, we've seen that you've gotten some really good results. Obviously, your hitters uh, like just absolutely drop tanks all the time, and they didn't used to. So there's clearly a there there, um, but you know." talk me through the process of how you do that. And he's like extremely detailed and has, and shows nuance, then man, it's an insta hire to, and, and, you know, the reality of that is we say this on the recruiting front, but I think coaches sometimes lose, uh, lose sight of that as well. Right. Like what, what you hear from driveline consistently is like, if you throw 95 miles an hour in a tunnel in Siberia, like you will have a scout there three days later, to verify it and sign you. Now that that is actually probably false now because uh, it's not going to take night. Like you're going to have to throw a hundred. Like we have a bunch <laughs> of free agents actually who throw 95 and can't get jobs. But uh, so definitely no scouts going to want to go to Siberia when they can just go to Kent. But uh, the fact remains <laughs> that like, you know, if you, if you have the results and you can demonstrate them, then somebody's going to pick you up and pro teams are super hungry right now for that type of talent. And so are uh, like big time D1s. I'm very convinced that if you look at something like what the guys at Tarleton State are doing right now, where mm-hmm. it's a small program, uh, 
but they're just like really diligent about exactly how they detail their player development process. I like, I hate to tell the AD of Tarleton State this, but I don't think those guys are going to be there for much longer if they want to go on and do other things. If they want to mm-hmm. stay there, then obviously they're going to be there for a long time, but they've clearly demonstrated that they're very talented. Absolutely. So you've kind of touched on the growth and the kind of the evolution of driveline over the last three, four years. How has the influence of big leaguers like Trevor Bauer and, and Tim, Tim Litzkin played into that? It's been, it's been big. You know, you can't, uh, you, you can't downplay the, the role of having some validation from the outside of, you know, look, when Dan Straley is pitching against the Dodgers and Vince Scully is talking about Kyle and driveline's relationship with Dan, I don't know that you can put a price on that, you know, like whatever, like that is just uh, it's like incredible sort of external validation. And also, you know, it speaks to something else, which is like coaches don't trust, guys who have something to sell because if you've coached baseball long enough you've had infinite kids dads who have an uncle who developed a thing and wouldn't it be great if like all the pitchers did it right and like so you tend to get this pretty strongly held filter and so it really takes a lot to to break through that and to and to have people say like oh yeah this is this is true trevor is is great he's a completely unique individual i think goes without saying. Um, but, you know, to see him sort of chip away at his his issues, um, like the things that were limiting his performance, to go from like working, you know, originally when he first broke in, he couldn't throw the ball very hard. Uh, well, it was like 92 or whatever, but he needed sort of premium velocity. So he's worked on that. And then he worked on throwing more strikes uh, and his walk rate has dropped. And then he was throwing hard and throwing strikes, but he didn't really have an out pitch. So he's been spending like two years basically working on that. And it just, it's a great story to show people like all of these skills are changeable. Like Trevor has to work extremely hard to change them because he's not a good athlete. He might be the worst athlete in the majors um, from like a pure athletic standpoint, but it goes to show that anything, anything that you from a player or a coach, right? Like there is so, even I did this as a player, right? Where I'm like, man, if only I could hit for more power, right? Like then I would get a bunch of looks. And I was like, well, I didn't know this at the time, but it is possible to just do that, right? Like if I had just lifted more and trained smarter and trained harder, frankly, uh, then I probably could have hit 10 jimmies a year in D3, uh, even being like, you know, five foot seven on a good day. And, uh, you know, because, because it, it just, it, the inputs matter and everything about yourself is changeable, you know, like, uh, and so it, the timeline matters, you know, if you're a 30 year old pitcher in indie ball who sits 92, um, maybe it's not changeable on the timeline that leads you to be a professional baseball player, but you know, like time matters, but it, all of the skills are are mutable. They're all able to be learned. And then, you know, wrapping up here, but I think this is an important question. What do you think the future looks like for Driveline? You know, where are you guys headed? What's next? And what interests you guys going forward? Sure. Um, we've got a couple of the biggest initiatives for us are there's the one sort of core mission, which is 
learn as much as humanly possible about developing baseball players. And I think uh, getting published studies out there is a big one for that. Um, but then also just continuing to, to take our revenue and plow it into research and development is big. It's, it's big for us. Uh, I've, I see it having an impact on, on the game of baseball. Some people might hate the impact, but it's, but some people don't. And, and I think it's really important to sort of like push baseball and the baseball community towards the, to get as close to the truth as we possibly can uh, with all the subtle nuances about what works and what works when and what works when for whom uh, those things are all, are all important. And I think we've, we've certainly got a long ways to go before everybody has it all figured out. Um, so that's all obviously the core of it. The, the thing that I think that we're most excited about is sort of two initiatives. So one is we've been spending the last year building out uh, a training software. So like mm -hmm. software that we use every day to train our athletes. The challenge for us was, uh, as a very small facility in 2013, 2014, uh, certainly when when I was training there, everything was written out for the day, and then I just logged all of my workouts on pencil uh, and paper, and uh, and then filed them, and uh, it was great. You know, it's it's easy to do, uh, but the challenge is is that if you want to actually learn anything about what your athletes are doing, sure you can see like on a day to day basis, you know whether they're tracking stuff or whether stuff is sort of down relative to where you think they should be but it's hard to get any sort of change over time type information so then you've got to spend a bunch of time basically translating paper sheets and everything that comes along with having 16 to 22 year olds fill out paper sheets into spreadsheets so you can extract any sort of meaningful signal out of them and uh you know, as an as an amateur coach or as a like small professional, there's a small uh, training facility. There's a lot of other stuff going on too. So then we put all of our stuff into uh, Google Sheets, and that's how we ran our program up until 2017, basically. And uh, then we just flat out broke Google Sheets. Like <laughs> we had hundreds of athletes on there. We we're trying to manage all this stuff through Google Sheets. And number one, guys hate filling out a spreadsheet on their phone like it's the last thing that they really want to do but then two as you get sufficiently large it just becomes harder and harder to extract data out of there and if you want to do a good job customizing programs then every single program is different so then you've got a bunch of sheets to pull through and it literally like every summer we write a wrap-up of our of our results for the summer and uh, the most recent one took literally two weeks of just cleaning data before we were able to actually get to writing a post. That's when we started building our own software. And uh, so we've been using it uh, consistently uh, for basically like the last eight months. Sorry, longer than that, about the last year. And uh, it's been going really well. So we can, it's easier to track data. It's easier for our trainers to visualize it. It's easier for us to get reports. Like we can get flags of like, hey, you need to pay attention to this guy. Uh, or like, actually, this guy's been having a series of very good workouts. So, you know, uh, just like noted as like he's sort of in peak performance time right now. And the exciting thing about that is that we're sort of, because our sort of operating uh, thesis is to be the, the R&D department for amateur baseball, 
that software is now being made available uh, to the public. So you can purchase a subscription and you can use either our programs or you can custom build your own stuff and get access to the same track, visualize, report stuff that, that we use every day. And, and that I think is truly important because if you want to run a data-driven baseball player development program, it's just exceedingly difficult right now. Like it's too hard. We did it because it's like the core of sort of how we want to be different. But we also were able to like sell plow care balls and other things on top of that so that we could keep running the program the way that we wanted to run it. That's not an opportunity that's available to every single person. And so it's up to us to like build the tools that coaches are actually going to use. Because like we use Edutronic cameras, but currently like if you want to have an Edutronic set up in your facility or or at your team, you have to you have to run uh, Edutronic specific software. It doesn't play nicely with anything else. It's very difficult to chop up video and the files themselves are like one terabyte each. So you've got like 50 terabytes per bullpen. And then, you know, if you're trying to run that on the laptop that your school gave you because you're a teacher there, like you're going to, it's just going to crash. And so there's all these like impediments that people that are like just friction points for coaches who I think are very interested in doing whatever is like sort of feasible to getting the best results from their players. Uh, so it's up to us to sort of drive down the cost of entry for a lot of these things. And some of that is time cost and some of that is money cost. Um, so the, like being able to build out more tools, the software is one, Edutronic is another, um, but just being able to sort of really democratize that and give that to coaches. You know, I personally believe that we get the best uh, training results out of any uh, baseball player development group uh, in the country or in the world. That doesn't mean that I can't learn and it doesn't mean that that's necessarily true. So I think there's I think there's a lot more to learn, and I think being able to give people tools to demonstrate that they're doing a good job has a lot of like second and third order effects as well. So that's something that I'm very fired up about. And then the other piece, you know, and this is in the same vein of sort of making ourselves more accessible. But uh, you know, Seattle is is in the top left corner of the United States. Like <laughs> you know, we're not Alaska, but it's hard to it's hard to get there. Um, it would be sufficiently easier i think for the u.s if we're located in like the middle of the country or something but you know the reality is is that seattle is where we started uh it's where we're growing the business and uh and not everybody can make it out so we're going to open up mobile labs for like three-day assessment periods in a bunch of different places uh sort of throughout the the country uh, starting at the end of the summer so end of the summer in the fall We'll be opening that up. So if you can't make it all the way out to Kent and you can't, you know, pay for like a week, you can't get a hotel and all these other things, um, then we'll be trying to get as close as possible as, as we can. That's awesome, man. I'm sure people will be pumped to hear that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully so. The response has been has been good so far. It's sort of a mix. Like the nice thing about it is that we get to work with some of our – we get to highlight some schools who uh, – are are like doing a good job on the player development side of things but you know maybe get overlooked because they're small uh we get to highlight some facilities that i think are doing a good job 
we get to, you know, roll into uh, some of our like bigger partner, like college team partners. And uh, it's good. It's uh, it's uh, it's going to be, I think, uh, a very good uh, program and something that I'm really excited about doing sort of every summer going forward. If this is a success, it's just like, you know, load up, load up the RV at some point and just <laughs> make a make a big <laughs> make a big sweep of the U.S. That's awesome. Well, Mike, you touched on a lot of great things, both with Driveline and and as the game of baseball as a whole. If any of our listeners would like to reach out to you with questions, concerns, complaints, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, whatever it may be, what's what's the best way for them to do that? Um, so I'm I'm on Twitter at uh, Mike underscore Rathwell R A T H W E L L, and then also our main support line, which is support at drivelinebaseball.com, uh, can forward over anything if you want to do it through email. But either of those uh, would be good. And uh, yeah, I would I would love to hear uh, complaints. I would love to hear success stories. I would love to hear anything. So if, if anybody has any feedback or if I sort of touched a nerve or opened eyes or, or if you're just like, please never do a podcast interview again, all of that is, <laughs> is, uh, is good uh, good feedback. That's awesome. Well, hey, Mike, uh, we appreciate having you on and you giving us your time. And uh, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot that we can all pull from the conversation. So thanks again. Yeah, you bet. Man, Mike shared just so much about driveline and what they're doing for the game of baseball. Just happy he can jump on with us and and just show us where they're going, where they've been and the struggles and, and everything they've done for the game. This call takeaway is brought to you by Quality at Bats. Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. It's apparent Driveline is making strides in player development. What was your biggest takeaway from Mike's interview, Joey? I think the biggest thing I always pull from Mike, it's just really so much about, you know, the the higher level um, of what they're doing. I'm so interested in not only player development, but what the impact it has on the game, the data that driven, you know, results that they've been pushing for. You know, it's not so much about people's opinions anymore. There's there's, you know, sometimes not, it's always saying that everybody's opinions are wrong, but I think the great thing about data is it gives you something, you know, am I right? You know, is this something maybe I'm getting, um, I know we had Crawford talking about it last week. Maybe I'm getting upset about things that I don't, I can't quantify. I don't really have real numbers against that. Maybe I'm just being, you know, irritable. Um, so it's just great to have, you know, someone in the game that's pushing the game forward. Um, and it's doing it by data collection and facts rather than emotions. And, uh, um, I love that aspect of it. What'd you pull from it, Bo? Yeah, that's good stuff. For me, the biggest thing was relation to their products was knowledge merely isn't enough. And it's kind of funny he talked about Mike Reinold because he they kind of touched on the similar thing. Um, people get recited, excited about results that Driveline produces, but they don't know how to individualize the program to suit a particular player. Um, I think it definitely is a valuable tool if used correctly. Um, I think too many coaches and players have unrealistic expectations and kind of undermine the coaching process that some of these training protocols use. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. You know, guys, as always, you know, share this episode with who you think that it would really impact. Uh, I know you guys are a lot of you guys drive on is a hot button topic right now. And you guys can throw that around and uh, share this with people that may, maybe never gotten to speak to, to Mike on the side of that side of the, the game and, and just kind of understand what driveline is, what they stand for, the bigger side of what they do. As always, keep sharing us. And guys, if you hit up our website, thesystem.farm, we got t-shirts on there. We got 
all kinds of different, um, you know, resources you guys can dive into. And again, ways for you guys to get in contact with us also through our social media. Let us know what you liked about this episode. Um, and, and just let us know, you know, what next? What do you want to hear next? Things like that. But until next time, Farm System out. Ah.